Thank you for joining us for the iChiefs podcast series, a podcast series from the International Association of Fire Chiefs for fire service leaders out there uh, listening to us. And I'm Tom Jenkins. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast series. Um, and I'm the fire chief for the city of Rogers, Arkansas. I'm joined uh, by my friend, Sheldon Gilbert. Hello, Chief Jenkins, and it's an honor and uh, privilege to be here today for another episode on iChiefs Radio Blog Talk, and we have a very important topic today that I think is going to be very interesting and I hope of great value to our podcast listeners. Um, I'm uh, the former fire chief of the Alameda County Fire Department in California and currently have the privilege of serving as the CEO of Emergency Services Consulting International. Uh, We are the consulting firm of the IAFC. And and I would say from that perspective that our topic today on crisis communication and the role of, of the modern PIO is something that we get faced with on a not infrequent basis where we are asked to come in and look at large-scale incidents of consequence and how they were communicated or not communicated and how that ultimately impacted the outcome and or the perception of the outcome to the community at large. So I'm excited to hear what our subject matter experts have to say today. Tom. No, absolutely. I think this is um, this is definitely something that I mean, when we think of command and control and we think of disaster and we think of interacting with our community, it's it's easy not to value the role of public information, the people that support and do that. And, and in some ways, I think it's easier now than ever before with the use of technology. But I think in, in, in another way, it's, it's also more demanding. The community interacts with us. We just had a tornado here um, that hit our city within the last month, and it was amazing to me the amount of interaction uh, that we had on social media for, um, for, for getting crisis communication out. So we're, uh, we're happy to have our guests, and we're joined today uh, by Chief, uh, Assistant Chief Shelley Jamison. She's with the City of Phoenix Fire Department, a veteran there. And we're also joined by um, the Public Information Officer for the City of Tulsa Fire Department, Andy Little. So thank you, uh, both of you, for joining us today. We're glad you're with us. Glad to be thank here. Thank you. So we're going we're gonna to start. Uh, we're going to start with um, since I'm since I'm a native Oklahoma, we're going to start with Andy this morning, and I and we're going to we want to talk a little bit about crisis communication first, and understand how how you all navigate that and and what your your viewpoint uh, is on it. And so, Andy, I'm curious when it comes to crisis communication from your job as the PIO. How long have you been the PIO for Tulsa now? Uh, going on about a year now, uh, but I have a journalism background, so I think I have a different oh, wow. uh, input uh, coming into the job and a different outlook than the traditional PIOs of the fire service. <clears throat> well, absolutely, and that's one of the reasons I reached out to you is I noticed what a good job you're doing there. And so, you know, short in a, in a, you know, with a short response, what do you see as the key element, uh, key elements for crisis communication when it all goes wrong? And, you know, it's a disaster. What, what, what do you see as the key elements that, that our leaders need to know about? Well, I think what we see in the fire service and in society in general now is that, um, uh, well, we're starting to accept the likelihood more, but traditionally we think that's not going to happen here. It couldn't happen to us. Uh, in crisis communication, it's important that we po- always plan for the worst. Uh, of course, hope for the best, but uh, when these incidents happen, when tragedy strikes, it's important that we tell all of the information. We tell it fast, and most importantly, we tell the truth. Because when we lose credibility, uh, it causes a big problem for dissemination of that good information that allows people to make decisions to keep their family safe. Chief Jamison, do you have, a, do you have some thoughts on the elements, of, key elements of crisis communication and, and what those might look like? 
You know, I would just add to what he said that in order to do that, it's very important to have your resources in place, to have good relationships with other agencies, to have access to them. And that's the kind of thing you want to build before the disaster. Mm -hmm. And, for instance, here in the Phoenix Fire Department, one of the ways that we do that is when we have events, Super Bowl, Final Four, um, conferences, whatever it might be, we pull our IMTs together, which involves multi-agency. It's the cities in the region, um, you know, public works, et cetera. We typically will have a unified command. So these relationships are formed prior to that big event that Andy just referred to, and, and that helps a lot. So you're not figuring it out the day of the disaster. That's right, Chief, and I'd like to add, we, we just did a tabletop exercise yesterday with uh, one of the largest venues in our city, uh, the BOK Center, and uh, it's interesting during these tabletops uh, that corporate uh, entities and other government entities, without this practice that the Chief just mentioned, uh, they don't understand the way that we operate. So, uh, you know, while they're concerned about their brand or uh, their image, and we certainly are concerned about those things as well, uh, but it's important that they understand that our job is safety. Our job is to get the proper information to people, uh, and then we'll deal with the branding later. Those are great points, and I think it's a really good segue. I know when when I was a fire chief of a um, county fire department, and we, we certainly had some incidents in, in Northern California of national consequence and that qualify as a crisis. One of the challenges I always had is what, what is the – the role and what does the fire chief and the executive leadership team of a fire department need to do to ensure you and Chief Jamison have what you need to properly process and communicate information to the public in a timely and an accurate manner? So what, what do we as fire chiefs and executive leaders within the fire service need to know uh, as it relates to giving you the tools you need and what's our role in that perhaps? Well, I think Chief Jenkins touched on it a moment ago. Um, I think just understanding the importance is a first step. And traditionally, in the fire service, uh, the public information officer was reactionary, and I would say primarily across the board. Uh, of course, we have public education departments, and those offices, they, they, they cross lines sometimes you know, in roles. But uh, if you have a good support system, and it, I think it's important that as chiefs, you give your public information officer some freedom. You allow them to uh, be creative and spend time on the image of the department because if you bog them down with busy work, which is what has happened in the past at some departments, um, you know, it really limits your ability to complete tasks in a timely manage in a timely manner. And <clears throat> Things like daily information about what crews are doing. You know, at the Tulsa Fire Department, I try to tell a story. I try to focus on what crews are doing. And if we have uh, large emergencies, we often have media uh, that we create, we package, and we put out. And if I was in meetings all day or bogged down with other things, it would literally be impossible unless I had uh, a large staff to assist with that. So just valuing the office. Uh, I would I would encourage fire chiefs if you have not taken classes in crisis communication or in the public information officer arena that you do that because uh, it can certainly open your eyes and uh, like I said it it can allow you to support your staff uh, to make them successful and and to make your department successful. 
So Andy made some very good points. I would concur with all of that. And then the only couple things that I would add is early access. So uh, for instance, when something negative were to occur about your department, whether it's a personnel issue or an operational issue that might potentially garner negative headlines, and it happens behind the scenes before the media finds out. As a leader in the fire service, as a fire chief, a chief officer, you're going to want to let your PIO know early. You want to inform them, be honest with them, and then work on the message that you want crafted because we're not the only stakeholders. You have your um, folks in the field. They're watching this as well as it unfolds. They want to feel supported. And then you have the people you work for in City Hall. They're watching it unfold as well. And each of the stakeholders has a different type of interest in it. The other thing I would add to that is to choose the right PIO. Um, Mm. Sometimes I think people get focused on, you know, looks or um, the ability to articulate in the fire service because most of our PIOs are sworn officers. That's who we pull. And it makes sense because we speak the language, but it, Sometimes much more than that. Andy mentioned that he has a journalism background, the ability to write, communicate, uh, understand, as Andy pointed out again, the focus of the message, who's hearing it, and the stakeholders is critical as well. So when you choose this individual to represent your organization, two things to keep in mind, keep them informed, be honest with them, uh, make sure they understand the message you want to convey listen to them when they say, these are my suggestions. And then secondly, make sure it's the right individual. And if they don't have all of the skills, get them trained. There's a ton of training out there through FEMA, uh, usually state emergency management groups, classes, you know. So. I don't know if you noticed this, Sheldon, but when, you're t- when we're talking about public information officer with a public information officer like Andy and we're talking with somebody as polished as Shelley who manages that fun- function in Phoenix, it's, just, it's, a, it's amazing how much you all flow compared to some of the other guests we've had. So you, uh, you definitely walk the walk here. Um, so something that I'm curious about from your perspective is that so, you know, social media is huge, and arguably that's the, that, that is the stage that the PIO is on now, that, that the traditional PIO is uh, – um, it's definitely a, a science that has changed probably in your careers. Um, so, Shelly, I guess I'll start with you first. How, do you, how does Phoenix and, and what experience do you have in, in monitoring social media that we, that we talk about using it as kind of this, the way that we push out information to be disseminated? But, you know, in an escalating event or an evolving event, how, how do you use it to kind of get information back from your citizens, identify problems or hazards? Any, uh, any thoughts on that? Well, we could talk about individual apps, and we all know what those are, whether it's Facebook, Instagram. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Nextdoor, but that's an outstanding one to push out information. When events, let's say incidents, when incidents occur, it happens quickly. You're almost behind the curve in terms of what the rumor mill is, right? Whatever's going, the chatter that's happening uh, among social media. But I think Andy made this point. It's clear, concise accurate information on how to keep yourself safe, uh, what the unfolding situation is, and what they need to know. And again, that's working with your leadership. Something else I might add to this that we've learned, and that is the aspect of your members' use of social media. So it's very important to have a social media policy in place, not just for your PIOs, the chief officers, et cetera, but for your members. So they know what's expected of them, that they're not posting 
advertisements for their personal business in their fire department t-shirt or they're not reacting to a television news anchor who may have criticized your department as a firefighter. That's an aspect as well. So those would be the two things I would add. Andy? Well, I'll just speak to something that you said, talking about the shirts and uh, representing yourself as a department member. uh, It's almost impossible to remove yourself from that. And most people don't understand that in in departments. You know, they think just because it doesn't say employed by Tulsa Fire Department or firefighter on their page that they're they're free of that association. Uh, But they are associated, and it is easy to make those connections. So, like you said, Chief, it is very important that they understand what is okay. Uh, And it's funny that we're talking about this because in communication in general, uh, in the fire service, for the most part, you don't see firefighters uh, interacting with the media in a way that I would like uh, because there's fear of saying the wrong thing, uh, getting in trouble, not looking uh, the way that they would like to be perceived. Uh, So that's one thing as a chief officer that you can do for your department is uh, have your PIO come in and uh, and work with the job on what's okay, what's dangerous with social media, what things you can say, how you can avoid saying things, that it's okay to tell a reporter, hey, can we do that again? You know, because all these interactions that we have with the media, they form our profile. They form uh, the impression that the citizens get about us, and it's not about myself or Shelly. Uh, it's about the whole group, and the people don't want to see me every time. They want to see firefighters. They want to see the guys in the field. Um, as far as social media goes, if you're not using social media to communicate with the public, you're behind. You're way behind, uh, and it is. it can be uh, – it's something you don't want to jump in <clears throat> to without some preparation and some thought. Uh, because this is potentially forever, uh, but it, it is very, very important, and it is a way that you can get information out to the citizens much faster than you could have ever done before. Uh, not only that, but you get your full message. So typically, when you do interviews with reporters, you get a soundbite. You know, you get two or three sentences. Hopefully, you get a couple of good points in there, and then you get whatever the local media wants to say. Uh, Of course, their job is to keep people safe, but they also have advertising money, and and, and they're uh, sometimes, you know, driven by one uh, thought or another. But uh, with social media, we can create our own interviews. We can put these out. We can craft them the way that we want them to be crafted. And as the chief mentioned, Nextdoor is a great example as well. You can they have geofences, <clears throat> so you can select your entire city. And like with Facebook, uh, you know, depending upon who likes what and, and watches what and clicks on likes, uh, it, it may or may not see your message, you know, unless you pay to have it distributed wider. Uh, but with Nextdoor, everyone that has signed up will get an alert. And not only that, you can do it as an emergency alert. So you certainly want to would not want to utilize that in a day-to-day. Uh, incidents, but if you have a disaster, uh, like a, we just dealt with a large flood situation here in Tulsa, and uh, while we use many different aspects of social media, that, that, that is a good place that that could have been done in those areas where we were concerned about levees and, or tornadoes or, or whatever it may be. You can tailor where your message goes. So uh, social media is one of the most important tools that we have now. 
and let me add just a couple quick things to that. You made a couple points that um, so social media reacts to us. Part of that education for your firefighters in the field is when they're on dispatches, when they're operating on a scene, that people are videotaping that or, or they're taping that with their phones everywhere now. There are cameras available in buildings, and now our uh, police force wear body cams. And that's all discoverable by public records request. And so what they need to realize is every time they put that blue shirt on, you know, step off the red truck, that they are vulnerable to this perception that would be picked up on on tape. So that's something for them to be uh, educated about as well. And then so really quickly to the content of social media. We were just discussing how important it is in a crisis to utilize it and how to utilize it. One other aspect is when there's not a crisis, the day-to-day, how you market your department, the safety messages that you can give, some of the dispatches that you've been on that were high profile, rerunning news stories that, um, you know, some of the local stations, you can post the link on your social media, but it needs to be compelling. So utilize it to the point where, and, and Andy just made another good point, which is, you can't overuse it, right? So if you're um, using next door for warnings, don't overdo it because then the message gets watered down. But mm-hmm. when you're just doing the day-to-day, it should be compelling, interesting, not pictures of, you know, promotions. and stuff. People don't care about that. They care about exciting um, things that affect them, safety messages, what we're doing in the community, and then politicians care. They're watching it as well, and they're going to want to be part of it. So if you can enhance city leadership, other agencies, nonprofits, using your social media, showing the partnerships, that's important as well. And so um, anyway. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, You know, I'm very fortunate in Tulsa uh, with my relationship with city communications, and I spend a great deal of time uh, in that office because they can absolutely help me. Uh, in in times of crisis, you know, I'm the only person in my office. So, uh, you know, if we have a large crisis and I'm in the emergency operations center with the IMT team uh, working, uh, I'm, we may or may not have uh, enough people monitoring the rumor mill on social media. So, uh, you know, my colleagues at the city, uh, that's an asset. That's an asset for you, even when it's not a really large incident. If you make those relationships and you encourage your PIOs to do that and give them the time, that falls again on not bogging them down on things that, you know, you just really have to put the focus and and put the level of appreciation into the job and its importance and allow them to make those relationships. I regularly go by uh, all the news stations in Tulsa and bring them bring them uh, bagels in the mornings. I sit through their news meetings sometimes, and it's amazing how many times something has come up in a news meeting, and I'm like, hey, I can I can stay behind and give you a quick soundbite on that, you know. So uh, all of those relationships are very important, and, and as the chief said, you know, uh, the, the people are always watching. So anytime we can put out positive, useful information is a good thing. It's a win. That's Tremendous. What a, what a treasure trove of nuggets you guys just bounce back and forth with each other, and, and we just really enjoy the fact that you're able to bounce off each other and take that expertise that you have and, and, and put it out there for our listeners. This is extraordinarily valuable. But let's, um, let's move to just a secondary topic for a couple minutes, just a couple questions here before we wrap up and talk about the role of the modern PIO. And, and certainly as we deal with large metro departments like yourselves that have 
put significant resources into the PIO, the public information um, function. We have combination volunteer and or small career departments that have very few resources and it's done by as an, ad, uh, an adjunct duty or it's done by someone in the town or the city or the county. And so we kind of wanted to pick your brains a little bit on, on what, what are the, uh, what's the, you know, the roles and responsibility of the PIO? How have they, how have they evolved and, and how would that benefit both our large and our small departments? And we'll start with, uh, with, with you, Chief Jameson, on this one. So this is a good one. I'm glad you asked this question. Chief Brunacini, a, a very storied fire chief, nationally renowned, I was very fortunate to work for him for many years. He did something brilliant in the early 80s. He hired a television news reporter to be the Phoenix Fire Department PIO, Steve Jensen. And Steve was so good because he knew what the media wanted. He was able to anticipate and feed the media as well. He was one of the best. Unfortunately, he was the only one. And so it became a 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week, 365 for Steve. And, and, and I will tell this story very frankly because it's not a secret and I want it to be a cautionary tale. He ended up drinking himself to death because in order to come down at the end of the day, you know, that that was his go-to. And so it was a, a very tragic ending to what had been quite the chapter in his fire department's career. And so moving forward, um, we we took that opportunity to look for other ways to do business, just like you're talking about. Each department has its own needs, its pool of talent, its resources available through the city. Andy mentioned using other communication officers. I think you really need to sit down and be creative. You don't want it to be anybody. They have to have a strategy. There need to be rules that they operate within. That's the social media policy. And then you need to help them. So if it is a small department and you have, for instance, we, we tend to reach toward millennials. They're smart. They understand technology. Great resource. If you're going to use them, arm them well. Let them know what's expected. Keep an eye on it and, and let them reach to you frequently. Uh, it's it's a good resource, but you need to stay on top of it. You can't just let it let it run rampant. So that would be uh, some of the suggestions I would make, and then then take care of them, right? So as with Steve, one of the things we've done now, and Andy alluded to this, and and that is to um, make relationships. We are fortunate enough to staff a 24-hour PIO on duty. They're on a rig. They've got an MCT. They're dispatched to greater alarms drownings, high-profile dispatches, et cetera. And having that resource helps a lot as well. So sometimes they'll use guys in the field. Um, know, know who your resources are out there among your department, those who are well-spoken, those who can deal with social media, those who have the relationships, pool them together, arm them with the right information, the right strategy, and then support them. That's excellent, and I like uh, what you just said about going internal and find your talkers and use them. Those who present well and can do it well, that's really good. Mr. Little, how about you? What are your thoughts on the uh, roles and responsibilities of the modern-day PIO? Well, you know, <clears throat> something the Chief just mentioned, uh, I've had a l lengthy conversations about recently uh, about uh, previous reporters hiring on as civilian employees, uh, and I – agree wholeheartedly that it is very effective when that happens. There are several departments currently that have almost like teammates. You know, they have the sworn person and then the non-sworn person, and it tends to work out 
uh, for the most part, the, the sworn person often comes off more, uh, uh, as she said, polished and uh, knowledgeable about the job, and then the non-sworn person, it, it's almost like a, a yin and a yang. You know, they're more, uh, maybe more effective communicators, maybe not, but they're interesting. They're polished in the sense that they have been groomed to look and speak a certain way to keep the interest of people, to make it exciting, make it interesting, and it has has proved to be very effective uh, for a lot of people. Uh, we spoke earlier about <clears throat> just the, the the job changing and. Uh, you know, as I said, I think the big focus was it was reactionary, you know, in the past, and that's uh, it's no longer good enough. You know, uh, as, as the chief said, you know, day to day you have to put good work, uh, information with worth out to the people. So, um, you know, it is a very challenging job, um, and and uh, again to her point about the the gentleman she mentioned, uh, you need to to stay on top of it and, and make sure those people have the resources that they need because uh, it can be very stressful. So, um, but then again, I mean, it, it is, it is an asset to your department and it will at the end of the day determine whether people trust you. Uh, you know, we, for hundreds of years, we've uh, been responding and taking care of people. Uh, of course, we have incidents where people make mistakes in your departments, and as a, a chief officer, you have to deal with that. And every time that happens, you, your image takes a hit. But uh, it's important that those people are out there crafting those messages so that people know and continually see that your efforts are for their safety. And that's that, that's why we're here. That's a great point. Always keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, so you've given us a tremendous amount of information and nuggets relating to crisis communication and the role of the modern PIO. And we always like to try to give one to two substantial takeaways um, for each of for for each of you to provide our, our listeners. So why don't we why don't we go to that? And could you share with us? And we'll start with you, Mr. Little, on this one. Can you give us one to two takeaways that you think would be important for for fire service leadership from all types and sizes of departments to take away from this conversation that will help them in their public information efforts? Sure. You mentioned uh, that a large percentage of your listeners uh, come from combination departments and volunteer departments, uh, and that requires that people, as you said, wear many hats. So one thing, and we were talking about training and, and arming people with uh, skills, uh, as I mentioned earlier, firefighters oftentimes are afraid of talking to the media. They don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to look stupid. Uh, one thing you can do is practice with them and work with them on how to give those sound bites, if you will, because we know if the only avenue you're using is the media, they don't have time to say everything you say. They're going to cut it up. They're going to put it into a package. So uh, I, I always try to tell people to try before you do an interview and think about some profound statements. Think about some, some statements. You know, there's the 27-9-3 rule, 27 words, 9 seconds, 3 points. Uh, if you prepare before you do an interview, even if it doesn't specifically fit to the question that the reporter asks your people, and they have an answer that's relevant, it's good information, and it's newsworthy, they will use it. And that just falls back on preparation. So um, as the chief mentioned, and we've said multiple times throughout this conversation, uh, support, uh, education, 
uh, and just allowing those firefighters and those people to feel confident in that moment. And, and, and you know, the chief also mentioned that the, the proper people is important, and that ap- absolutely is important on the bigger stage. Uh, but as she alluded earlier, we're all on the stage. So this needs to be from the ground up. You know, we're not going to put them in a press conference, but they need to know what they can say uh, or what they should say to keep people safe. You know, there's always opportunities to give mm-hmm. education in these interviews. You know, right now we're dealing with space heater fires every day. You know, on those interviews, you can always say, um, you know, we recommend if you're going to use uh, alternative methods for heating that you follow manufacturer's rep- you know, instructions, that you don't keep them any, you know, uh, three feet from combustibles. Uh, these things are, are, are things that firefighters know, and they can be safe to say uh, without getting in trouble. If you're looking for points, I would suggest you look to other agencies to see what they're doing. Get online, have your, mm-hmm. um, not just the chief officers, but the PIOs as well. Look to agencies such as Miami-Dade. They have a just a rock-solid PIO. Her name is Erica Benitez. She and I just went through some training together at the, uh, at the um, National Fire Institute. And she's actually – so we're doing something similar here in Phoenix, but pushing stories out to the media. So instead of waiting for them to call, as Andy said, proactively <laughs> feeding them literally the script – and the pictures because news staffs are so bare bones these days. They don't have mm-hmm. reporters to send to every fire. That way you kind of create it for them. And then the other thing I would suggest is you consider making a fog. It's very valuable for mm-hmm. individuals who are working on the fly. It, it provides, you know, basic tips on how to work with reporters, the media. Sometimes it's a script with blanks in it that they can fill in if they're pushing out a press release. Uh, it's a template. So I would say a fog guide and then look to other agencies to see what they're doing and to the best you can recreate it if it's working. I, I giggled several several times when you were talking there, Chief. Uh, I actually met Erica at uh, the National Information Officer Association meeting this year um, and got some good tips with her. She, uh, in our community, we have a large uh, Latino population, and you know during that flood that I spoke of earlier, uh, I realized uh, even in our uh, press releases and then everything, you know, we we had translators that came to our pressers, and we did very good in that arena. However, on the day to day, on the safety information and pushing the stuff out, we can do better, you know. And Erica gave me some some great points uh, to your comments on the uh, the news networks and the MMJs. It's funny because you are 100 percent correct in that, and I now often shoot media for them, like you said. I don't. They don't even ask me. Hey, can we? put this off as our own. They don't give me credit on a lot of the video and pictures I send them um, because I I want them to use them. It it doesn't matter if I get credit or or the Tulsa Fire Department even gets credit because it's of us, you know. But like the chief said, you know, you send those uh, videos, pictures uh, to them, you are crafting your message, you know, and you are getting earned media that you would not have had otherwise if they don't have the staff to get that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great point, and it is an easy way uh, for uh, volunteer and combination departments. If you don't have those positions staffed and you've got somebody on scene who's not actively engaged, maybe they're waiting for assignment, you know, they can shoot some video. Uh, they can they can capture things that you can utilize to boost 
the image of your department, and not only boost the image of your department, but to show people what you do, because not everybody even knows what we do on a daily basis. Well, you all have done a fantastic job today um, talking about uh, what is kind of an evolving and complex topic, uh, crisis communication, the role of the public information office and the public information officer. And uh, I know even just um, this visiting with you and listening to both of you that, that there's a lot of takeaways for fire chiefs. It's about making sure you have the right person in the job and training them and, and then encouraging those people to develop the relationships, to utilize the, the apps that we all know about, the Instagrams and the Facebook, but also the ones like Nextdoor, even PulsePoint, um, mm-hmm. it, having a social media policy, getting them some training. And then, uh, you know, Shelly, I loved your comment about, you know, it really everybody's kind of an ambassador. Everybody's a PIO um, out there uh, in 2019. So both of you, uh, fantastic jobs. I know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that, uh, that Chief Driscoll with the city of Tulsa, Chief Cockbrenner with the city of Phoenix, both of them I'm sure are proud of the work you all do, and you've, uh, you've done a great job today. And so uh, we, we appreciate you all joining us. We also appreciate our listeners joining us for uh, this year on our first year doing these iChiefs podcasts. Um, we want to encourage our uh, members of the IEFC and other fire service professionals to, to visit the website. Visit the IEFC.org website from there. You can actually subscribe to the show um, from there on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or on Google Podcasts. And we want people to, to stay engaged with us and give us uh, you know, these topics that, that are relevant and important uh, to fire service leaders out there. And of course, uh, you know, while you're at it, on those various uh, those various mediums, the podcast, the Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, you know, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on there and uh, tell your friends about it because we want to make sure that the, that we do our part in information dissemination. This is our final podcast for 2019, and uh, we look forward to having you join us when we kick off next year. We're going to start next year uh, with uh, current IESC president Gary Ludwig of the Champaign, Illinois Fire Department. He's got a cardiac initiative that is really uh, the keystone of his uh, presidential term, uh, and it's entitled, If You Don't Feel Well, Don't Make It Your Farewell. And it's about firefighter health and such an important topic that we'll be visiting and, and discussing with him. We wish all of you a safe and happy holiday season and new year, and we look forward to joining, with you, joining you in uh, 2020.